something occurred to me the other day. It's something I think we humans generally have in common. It's this. Most of us have a sense of guilt. Most of us on the inside, maybe hard to express, but most of us have this sense that we owe our God or gods something. Everybody does. And as a result, it's like a common denominator of humankind, a sense of indebtedness to whomever we refer to as our transcendent deity. Some have one God, others worship a multiplicity of gods, but all of us have in common this notion that we have fallen short and therefore we're debtors who owe. And as a result, we have come up with a variety of things, rituals, religious rituals by which we make offerings uh, to this God or gods so as to do two things. One, to appease our conscience of its guilt, and the other to appease the wrath of our God or gods. This just seems to be a driving common denominator which all humankind are subject to. So let me give you just a sampling of some of the things various religious groups have uh, have chosen to do as an offering to their God or gods so as to, to appease his wrath towards them. So, for instance, the Aztecs, you've heard of the Aztecs, uh, engaged in human sacrifice. I apologize for this, which may be just a tad bit too graphic, but I must tell you it's a reality. The Aztecs quite a marvelous civilization, nonetheless, determined in order to appease their gods, human sacrifice was called for. And to be a victim was actually an honor in Aztec society. The victim would undergo a series of rather elaborate religious rituals before being brought to a place like this, a holy Aztec shrine, and then the victim's heart would be cut out while the victim was alive. It would be ripped out of his or her chest, and even while still beating, pulsating, it would be held up as an offering to the gods so as to appease their wrath. Let's not be too hard on the Aztecs, you see. They're motivated just as many of us are by a sense of unresolved guilt and this notion that something as costly as Life has to be offered to the giver of life in order to appease him. Well, the Aztecs were not the only people group who engaged in human sacrifice. Uh, here's an interesting photo, uh, a stone wooden structure found in uh, Israel at a place called Megiddo. It was one of Solomon's fortress cities. Uh, it's actually near the location of a biblical event we refer to as Har Megiddo, or Armageddon. Well, before Solomon got there, there was a people group called the Canaanites there, and they worshipped uh, many, many, many gods, and one of them was a god named Molech. And so this particular, the remnants of this altar uh, was a place where sacrifice was rendered, human sacrifice was rendered to the Canaanite deity Molech. And in many cases, uh, it, 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 the ones offered were not adults. They were, they were babies, and they were children, and they were offered up in fire at this place so as to appease the wrath of Molech. 
And then there were other groups who practiced human sacrifice. For instance, the Greeks also engaged in it. Here is a depiction of human sacrifice on a piece of ancient Greek pottery, just to give you an idea that uh, diverse people groups seem to be similarly motivated. I, oh, I have transgressed. I have violated the standards of my God or gods, and he is right to exact, he or they are right to exact a, a penalty, and so I have to appease the wrath of my God or gods in various ways. And then there are some less extreme religious rituals to satisfy the demands of the gods. Here, for instance, is a depiction of goat sacrifice to appease uh, the gods in Bali. You see, this particular procedure uh, would serve the purpose of appeasing the wrath of the god who controls the waters so that they would be teeming with fish and they would not be turbulent and so that people could survive and that the angry gods in Bali would not uh, exact a penalty uh, on these people who owed him a death. So please, gods, offer, we offer, would you accept this goat as a sacrifice? And, and then here is a, here is a pigeon uh, sacrifice in Haiti. Uh, it's part of uh, the practice of voodoo. Voodoo uh, 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 predominates in Haiti, but it uh, is practiced in many other places in the world, and an integral part of uh, the religion, the uh, voodoo, an integral part of voodoo tradition is, uh, is animal sacrifice like this, again, so as to appease the gods. Can you see? I think I'm proving the point to you that uh, people groups around the world living in different ages, speaking different languages, and with nothing else in common, have this in common we have fallen short of the expectations of our God or of our gods, and he's angry with us. We are guilty before him, and therefore we have to appease his wrath. And just to give equal time so you don't think I'm being too harsh with regard to other groups, here's one of my peeps. Um, not the chicken, the guy in the... Yeah, the other guy. Uh, this is a practice uh, participated in by certain Orthodox Jewish people, as in this case, it's called kaparot, and we do this, not we, some of us do this, around the high holy days, Rosh Hashanah, head of the year, Yom Kippur, day of atonement. Well, there's no temple sacrificial system, and so we've come up with some alternatives to cleanse our conscience, and here's one kaparot. You grab a uh, an unwilling chicken, you know, by its legs, and you swing it around your head three times, not two, not four, three. I don't know why three. Ask, ask your rabbi. You swing it around three, and in so doing, you symbolically transfer your sins onto this chicken who, after getting swung around here, I guess it's dizzy, and you, you can, I don't know, it's easy to cut off its head when this is, that's what's going to happen to it. It's going to be sacrificed, you say. So, once again, this is an, this is an acknowledgement uh, that we are created beings um, uh, submissive to deity, whatever we may call him, and we have fallen short of whatever his, their standards are, and we have to provide something or, or he or they are going to get us. And 
Many people, as part of their religious rituals, inflict pain upon themselves in order to deal with their own guilt and to satisfy their gods. And so this man, for instance, in India, is engaged in very extreme self-denial and deprivation. This man is voluntarily depriving himself, not just of creature comforts, but of the necessities of life, food and water, shelter. He's living on the streets of uh, a city in, in India so as to do penance, so as to, to make an effort in appeasing his, his God. And here is uh, a Hindu man hanging over a fire. This was not done to him. He asked that it be done. He volunteered uh, for it. He's hung by his ankles upside down over a heated fire. It's causing great discomfort and pain. This is intended as a religious ritual, the purpose of which is to appease uh, Hindu gods. And some people, if you asked, uh, would say they are Christians and yet have such unresolved guilt that they feel they must be punished themselves. And so take a look at this practice from the Philippines. This is right outside a church. These are people who would identify themselves as, as Christians. And uh, this man, for instance, is volunteering. Uh, he is submitting to being whacked on the back to the point where uh, blood is drawn uh, with a piece of wood. Uh, the belief being this will serve the purpose of cleansing him of the penalty of his sins. And then there are some people who even engage in one or more aspects of literal crucifixion, as in this depiction. So what do all these religious practices, though they be so different, what do they have in common once again, as I mentioned, they are all meant to appease the gods. Every one of them has this purpose. So what would you, if you had the opportunity, what would you say to one of these people if you had the chance? What would you tell them about how to satisfy the righteous indignation the righteous wrath of a holy God. If you had the opportunity to visit with that Indian man on the street, the Hindu man hanging by his ankles, the Filipino man whose back is being whipped, the Orthodox Jewish man who thinks he can transfer his sins to a chicken, what would you, what would you say about the, a better way to appease the wrath of an uncompromisingly holy God? Um, the answer is given by the writer of Hebrews, where we've been studying Hebrews. Actually, it's been studying us, uh, if you think about it. We've called it the letter of better because it's just filled with better alternatives to our own religious ways. And in the text before us tonight, it's Hebrews chapter 9, just two verses, 13 and 14. Uh, I think the writer will give us the answer to the question and he is going to suggest to us that of all these sacrifices you see uh, people participating in, there is a sacrifice that is better 
than any other sacrifice. So let me just read to you uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verses 13 and 14. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The writer is using a device. It's called arguing from uh, the lesser to the greater. The lesser offering being the blood of goats and bulls. If these, the writer says, serve some benefit, they cleanse at least externally. That's the lesser reality. If this is true, then the greater is even more true. If the blood of goats and bulls, then how much more the blood of Christ? How much more will the blood of Christ cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? That would be a good message, a good word, don't you think, to give to any one of those people uh, depicted in the photos we just looked at. But it's also a good message to give yourself right now. I need it. You need it. See, here's the deal. Because we are sinners, we have sinned. And because we have sinned, we are guilty before God. And because we are guilty before God, we feel guilty. And because we feel guilty, we offer sacrifices to God. That's how it happens. For Democrats as well as Republicans. For Jews as well as Gentiles. For males as well as females. Rich, poor, old, young. Common denominator. But how much more? Will the sacrifice of Christ cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? But what if you've done this? What if you've accepted uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, his shed blood, meaning his death? What if you've already accepted his sacrifice for your sin, and yet you're still plagued by guilt feelings? Well, let me distinguish between guilt and guilt feelings, for there is a difference between the two. Guilt is what happens when you sin against God. No one should talk you out of that. That is a very objective experience. God said, thou shalt not. You violated it. You have guilt. It is a legal pronouncement that is guilt. On the other hand, Though guilt happens when you sin against God, guilt feelings happen when you don't think what God has done to pay for the penalty of your sins is enough. And you think, even though you be a Christian, you think you have to punish yourself so as to make up 
for where God left off. And this is what you do. This is what I do. This is what people do. You are punishing yourself with guilt feelings. That's why they persist. This is your attempt to swing a chicken around your head, to be hung by your ankles over a fire, to have someone beat you with wooden sticks on your bare back. That looks a little primitive and uncivilized, but guilt feelings are essentially the same thing. Guilt feelings in the life of a Christian, which persist in spite of confession and repentance and acknowledgement of sin, in spite of conversion. Guilt feelings, which persist, are your attempt to punish yourself because you think the punishment of the Lord Jesus on your behalf was insufficient. But you don't have to do this because what Jesus did covers both guilt and guilt feelings. You see, your sin by his sacrifice is forgiven and by his resurrected life, he intercedes on your behalf and mine because you are loved and accepted. Listen to me. God didn't just say, you are forgiven. After the gavel went down and he said, because you have taken the blood of the Lord Jesus and applied it by faith to your life, after he said, I have no case against you, it is finished, guilt-free, he didn't say, uh, courtroom dismissed, have a good life. He said, by the way, I'm not finished with you. I've adopted you into my family. Salvation is much more than the pronouncement of forgiveness. It's adoption into the family of God. And the living Savior stands face to face with the Father on our behalf. This is his ongoing ministration for you and I. Folks, what Jesus did covers our guilt Work on this. It's meant to cover our guilt feelings as well. So why do you still feel guilty when you know what Jesus did for you? Well, there's no time for this right now, but let me just offer this general statement. It's because of something in your history, that's why. Something that happened to you. Abandonment, abuse, neglect, who knows what. Something along the way gave you a message, and the message is this. You are defective goods. Most here got the message somewhere. I'm just telling you this. And uh, you have internalized that message as if it's true. So now what your malady is, is this. You feel bad about who you are. Now that's a problem, because that's all you got. Wherever you go, there you is. So, so, so it's not just that you feel bad about what you have done. You, you believe Jesus died for that. It's much worse. Now you feel bad about who you are. So the guilt feelings persist because what could you do about that? So I'll tell you what you do and what I do. We try harder and harder to win God's favor and acceptance. But it never, never works because we already have <laughs> what we're working so feverishly to obtain. And so now we feel guilty about feeling guilty all the time, though we, though we be a Christian. So what do you do about it? Well, if there's sin, you confess it, you turn from it, 
and you say, thank you, God, for your shed blood, which covers for the, for the penalty of my sin. You do that. And if you're laboring over guilt feelings, having done that, you do this, two words. You consider Jesus. I mean, really make this your goal. Christian, consider Jesus. What does that mean? Remember that he died for the guilt of your sin, but also remember that he lives to bring you guilt-free before his Father. He doesn't see me, you, the way we used to be, adversaries, alienated, sinners on the outs with God. He calls us little children adopted into his fold. Consider Jesus, who says, you know, when you pray, you can use this terminology, our Father. He said, you could refer to him the way I referred to him. Consider Jesus, who made all that possible. We didn't get only saved from the penalty of sin. We also got saved from the gnawing voice of our distorted conscience, which makes us feel guilty, not about behaviors, but about our being and personhood. And that's a number one device of the evil one, because you're all you got. So consider Jesus. If you feel that God has something against you, I'll tell you what you'll do. Uh, the reason I know this is because I do the same thing, you know. We're all the same. If you feel God still has something against you, you will avoid serving him fully and freely. Why? Because it's human nature to avoid other humans we think has something against us. That's the way it is. Some are probably doing this even tonight. There's been offense maybe between two, so one's there and one's here. I know some family members here <laughs> who are at odds with one another, and though they may come to worship in the same place, won't sit together. See, this is human nature. If you think someone is holding something against you, you will avoid that person. If you think God is holding something against you, you will not. Serve fully and freely. In fact, you'll avoid him. But Jesus' blood took care of the guilt of our sin, and Jesus' blood has granted us acceptance with the Father, so we are free to serve him. So verse 14 uses the phrase dead works. See it there? Dead works. What are those? Those are all the things we do to appease God. Dead works are things like swinging chickens around our head, denying ourselves food, water, and shelter, hanging over the fire, punishing ourselves with whips, or with persistent guilt feelings. Those are dead works. Why are they dead? Because the only offering God will accept to appease him is this. God is only appeased by the death and resurrected life of his son Jesus for us. Nothing else. You have been saved. I'm speaking to Christians only. You have been saved by grace. But do you realize 
you also stand by grace. Do you realize you are accepted by the Father also by grace? If you do not know this, you are probably engaged in a frenetic lifestyle of trying to do more and more good Christian things so as to appease your God. But I'm telling you, even if those offerings are good, if the motive behind it is not good, it's called a dead work. Could I tell you something? The only proper biblical motivation for serving God is that you love him. The Bible says, for the love of Christ constrains us, not our love for him, his love for us. It melts us. It softens our otherwise rebellious, hardened hearts to be loved unconditionally by the giver of life who will not let us go to be taken up by him to be accepted, to be forgiven, is so freeing. We want to say, oh God, I love you back. We want to serve. But any other motivation is the same way all those other people groups are being motivated. Not the love of God, but the terror of God. But don't you see his perfect love for us? manifested through the shed blood of his son, is meant to cast out all that fear. Are you at the point in the Christian life where it's really getting laborious to be a Christian? It's tiresome. You go to church, but it isn't with much joy. You go on a missions trip, but it's a have to more than I want to. You give money because it's obligatory. You read the Bible because it's the thing to do, but you're not getting much out of it. Yet you're regenerated. See, those are all dead. Those are dead works. Unless we're properly motivated. So here's what you're doing. You are serving to win God's acceptance, but you should be serving because you have God's acceptance. See, otherwise you're just like the people depicted in all those horrible photos. Don't serve to win God's acceptance. You have God's acceptance. That's the motivation to serve, you see. So if you're plagued by uh, persistent guilt feelings, even having been regenerated, you're probably looking too much to what you need to do for him, and instead you would be better off to Look to what he has done for you. Consider Jesus. Jesus' blood is the only accepted offering by God that makes you and I acceptable to God. So what Jesus did is the answer to the guilt of your sin, and what Jesus did is also the answer to your guilt feelings. Oh, God, I feel so flawed, so unworthy. Oh, God, I feel so useless and so defective, and now stop that. And then you say, oh, God, but my standards are not higher than yours. You took me up. You embraced me as your own. 
You have attributed worth to me. I see it in the ransom price, the blood of the only begotten Son. You have an interest and investment in me. You've put your spirit in me. You're not ashamed to call me by name. You've adopted me into your family. You selected me. You've given me capacities, at least one divine enablement that I enjoy, that other people recognize, to bring glory to your name. You have invited me, in spite of my limitations and flaws and inadequacies, and in spite of my history, in all messages from others to the contrary, you have invited me to serve you. Head up, shoulders back, as if I'm as worthy to do so as anybody. Can I tell you, well, I'm going to tell you something. I sit there before I get up here, and I worship as you do. I sing. And then I say to God, oh, God, do you, are you sure you know what you're doing? I'm going to get up there at the end of song number three. God, do you know what I'm made of? And then I realize, yeah, we don't have any secret. Don't let me give you permission to, to harbor sin. Don't, uh, don't misunderstand. There's legitimate guilt. But even after any pattern of sin is confessed and repented of, I can still sit there and be overwhelmed with a sense of inadequacy where I try to debate God out of what he has invited me into, and that is full and free service. And every once in a while I hear God, no, not audibly, but it doesn't have to be that way. It's just as effective. I hear God saying, get out of yourself. Stop looking to you. Look to me. If the blood of bulls and goats qualified people for worship and service in the old economy, how much more will the blood of my son cleanse your conscience from dead, guilt-feeling works? Get up there and preach my word. You see? You see? As a Christian, you and I got to get this right. Because if we think we're on the outs with God, except by our efforts to win his favor, we will be kept from serving him with joy. That's the reason why we're not serving. The writer of Hebrews offers something I think that will help us. He mentions it in verse 13. It is a red heifer. It's quite significant. Mentioned in Numbers 19. God said this, Speak to the sons of Israel that they bring you an unblemished red heifer in which is no defect. Why? Uh, ancient Israel was traveling and they would incur ceremonial defilement when they came in contact with deadness, a dead body, a dead animal, a dead something. This would disqualify them from the worship community and from service. So God provided a red heifer. And he said, well, this is what he told the priests to do. Here's a depiction of what the priests of old would do. They would take the red heifer outside the gates of the community 
and they would shed its blood so that it would die. And then it would be burned, and its ashes would be mixed with water so as to make it a kind of a liquid. And it was always available continuously, so anyone can voluntarily apply the ashes of the red heifer to themselves so as to requalify, so as to cleanse themselves, so as to reinstitute their eligibility uh, for worship and for service. And of course, you know I'm speaking of the Lord Jesus. The red heifer is only a uh, a type of foreshadowing of him also crucified outside the gates of the city. Just as the ashes of the red heifer were continuously available, so too is the application of the blood of the Lord Jesus continuously available as the cleansing agent even for the people of God who feel dirty again. What can wash away my sin? You tell me. Yeah, that's right. Apply it to guilt and apply it to guilt feelings as well. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling those who've been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Folks, a Christian is not only forgiven by God, he is loved and accepted by God. That's the proper motivation for serving until he returns. And the experience, the personal experience of this very truth in my opinion, has enabled great Christians throughout the ages to overcome the accuser of the brethren. They did not remind Satan of the blood of Christ. They reminded themselves. Why don't you do that? Oh, conscience screaming at me about my limitations and flaws lack of worth and value and adequacies and all the rest. Oh, conscience, be quiet. For the blood of Jesus has cleansed me from all sin. For the blood of Jesus has qualified me to be an adopted son or daughter. For the blood of Jesus is the basis upon which I serve. Freely, fully, enjoyably. Christians who have had victory throughout the eons. I study their lives because I want to be one of them. They have refused to wilt before Satan's accusations of guilt. And they have refused just as much to wilt before their own guilt feelings. Your conscience is not the final authority. The Word of God is. And the Word of God has said, how much more will the blood of Jesus Christ 
through his eternal spirit, and which moved him to offer not an involuntary goat or pigeon or chicken, to offer himself without blemish. How much more is that meant to cleanse your conscience from dead guilt feelings, works, meant to add to the excruciating death he died already that you and I might live to serve? How much more will the blood of the Lord Jesus cleanse us so that we can enter the worship community, find our place of service, look to his work and not to our own character and deficiencies and all the rest, and enter into a life of full and free worship and service until the Lord Jesus comes. We don't need more Christians to impact on the world. We need more Christians free of debilitating guilt feelings, which persuades them, not you, not you. You can't go. You can't do. You can't volunteer. You can't step. (gasps) What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Deanna, Deanne is right there. I'm sorry. But I, I, I sort of told her I would maybe call upon her. Uh, let me just refer to you. Uh, Deanne just got back from Greece where she served. We saw a video of you and the others, refugees there in Greece from different places. Deanne gave, Deanne gave me permission. To, I would never do this. Don't think you're at this much risk if you tell me something. I asked permission. Uh, next week, Deanne will be 78 years old. She told me I could share that with you. It's a wonderful thing. And uh, by faith, she applied the blood of the Lamb to her life for the first time at the age of 75. And by His grace, in spite of everything, She said, why can't I go to Greece as an ambassador for Christ? I know who I am. I know my life. I know my limitations. I know my guilt feelings. I know the Lamb of God. (laughs) I'm going. And at the age of almost 78, she got to lead her first person to the Lord in Greece. His name is Omar. He's from Senegal. He's a Muslim man. He's running. He's a refugee. And God found him, started preparing his heart, and introduced him to this wonderful lady, and she had the privilege of praying with him so as to receive the Lord. Why not you? Could I tell you something? Deanne has as much junk in her life as you do in yours. I know her. How much more will the blood of Jesus cleanse your conscience from dead works? For what purpose? To feel good? No, no, no. To serve the living God. 
Let's sing. What can wash away?